0: Just go to Indeed.com slash wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: We're making sense of training camp hype on Roto-Viz Radio. What's up, Roto-Viz? to the Roto-Viz Fantasy Football podcast. It's a great night as we record here on Tuesday eve it is Tuesday yes, Tuesday evening, Curtis, for multiple reasons. One, Curtis is back. He was at the FF Expo, so we're going to get a breakdown of that, but more importantly, this guy is looking dapper. He's got the pocket square matching the shirt, uh a two-tone match up here with some black and white in the shirt black collar white shirt with what looked to be some dots i mean he's he's looking ready to go
2: yeah man it's been a full day dave so I'm, I'm glad to be back i went straight from the hospital to back to school night with the kiddos my youngest is now going to kindergarten uh so so yeah. I, I i was there till like 8 20 tonight and then i flew in hot uh to start recording this episode with you so i'm still wearing my Still wearing my, uh, you know, my day get up here or whatever, but yeah, I mean, we're just classing up the show for the first uh, mutual episode of the week. That's great. Um, As you mentioned, I did go to the Fantasy Football Expo in Canton, Ohio over the weekend, and man, what a time! You know, this thing's really grown um, over the last, you know, handful of years. And I, I got to hand it to Bob Lung. You know, Bob Lung, he started this thing as you know, basically a small fantasy get together for people in the Midwest four years ago. And this thing's like huge now. I mean, we almost had a thousand people there from all over the country. I mean, Colm Kelly flew over from Ireland for this thing. (laughs) Um, Got to, got to meet him in the flesh, which was really cool. Um, Got to meet Zach Kruger uh, in the flesh this weekend. Uh, Saw a a bunch of Rotoviz alum, you know, such as Sam Wallace and Rich Rebar, uh, Matthew Friedman, you know, a lot of, you know, friends of, I uh, want well, in Matthew's case, you know, long term host of this pod that we're doing That's right. um but but just saw so many people, and they added so much extra intrigue to the weekend. Um, Rodoviz actually entered a team in the flag football uh, tournament. you know we made the semifinals. um we had an unfortunate injury, actually, oh, uh, one of our, yeah, so Ray Garvin of Destination Devi, friend of the pod, big time college football guy. Uh, he was going to be our slot man slash yak extraordinaire. Pop's his Achilles oh, on no. the first play oh, on our first no. offensive play. Oh, uh, Ray, no. I mean, and if you if you've ever seen, I, 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 most of you listening have probably seen one of Ray's videos floating around the the Twitterverse. I mean, the guy is absolutely jacked. You know, he's a former college football player himself. Yep. Looks like he could absolutely strap it up, put the pads on, and go, even at 36 years old. And, you know, man, it just what what a warrior, man. Pops his Achilles, walks off on his own power, just goes to the hospital, gets the testing. Uh, It's crazy. So, uh, but we we had some fire kits uh, that we wore and, uh, you know, I I think we we did well uh, in the first year despite only getting four plays per game to touch the ball. It's kind of a weird, (laughs) you know. Yeah, it was almost like a, for those of you that have played uh, baseball, You know, when you go to extra innings in Little League or, you know, Babe Ruth or Pony League, whatever you call it in your state, and you go to Texas shootout where you Mm -hmm. kind of start with a full count. It's kind of that idea. They were trying to move all these games along, probably to limit injuries and also keep people from having to watch all of this, (laughs) probably horribly uh, non-entertaining flag football that was going on. But, man, you know, it all comes back to, you know, Bob just delivering on his vision. Uh, and I think it's, it's just so inspiring, you know, when people set out to do something um, and, and it comes to be, and, you know, Bob has absolutely done that with the fantasy football expo. And so, so yeah, Dave, I mean, I got to know Bob pretty well the last couple of years and watch this thing evolve and uh, just grateful to him, you know, putting together such an awesome chance to, to network and, and hang and catch up with uh, so many of, you know, my old friends and, and new friends after this weekend and the fantasy community. We did, by the way, also, of course, do the Kings Classic drafts, and man, I, I felt pretty good. I left both the auction and the snake with Jonathan Taylor, um, <laughs> man, so I mean, th- that feels great. Uh, also had overlap of George Kittle uh, on both of those squads, and so um, was able to get you know a guy that you and I are pretty, pretty in on, but man, Lady Fortune just smiling upon me. Uh, was able to bring home Taylor at my target cost in the auction and then uh, drew the Ace of Hearts which allowed me to pick my draft spot in the you know, uber competitive 14 team uh, setup and obviously I'm, I'm going to pick the 101 and go Jonathan Taylor nice. there uh, nice. with no third round reversal so we will have to see hoping to bring home a third title in the Kings Classic for Team uh, it would be a back to back for me as I won um, last year so Dave you know we want to talk training camp hype. And before we do that, we got to hit our FFPC stat attack. Okay, Dave, this will actually relate probably to our second question uh, that we want to cut up in today's episode around interesting training camp battles. And so I will leave you hanging, but here is the intro to that question. Wide receiver Cole... Beasley, formerly of the Buffalo Bills, in each of the last three seasons finished wide receiver 38 or better in terms of uh, expected fantasy points per game, um, peaking at wide receiver 31 in expected points per game in 2020. Uh, He scored at least uh, 159 PPR in each of the last three seasons, even compiling 207 PPR in 2020. But Cole Beasley is not wearing Bills blue anymore. And there's an interesting training camp battle for that slot work. We will get to that later in the episode. All of these stats pulled from the RotoViz NFL Stat Explorer and the segment brought to you, of course, by our friends at myffpc.com, the home of high stakes redraft, uh, high stakes dynasty, including our RotoViz Triflex Dynasty League setup, the best way to play dynasty uh, anywhere on the interwebs. And then, of course, uh, you know, after the last couple of years, now a home for best ball tournaments as well, including this year's Superflex tournament, which they, was so good they actually had to open up a second opportunity to play. So you can figure out uh, which game is right for you to play. Just go to myffpc.com and look around the lobby.
1: All right, so Curtis, you alluded to it. We're going to talk about... A lot of hype coming out of training camp, some training camp battles, uh, what have you. Where do you want to start?
2: Let's talk about some of these hype guys, Dave. I know there's two in particular that you wanted to get to in this episode. And then I'll run down what I think are maybe three or four of the interesting under-the-radar camp battles after we talk about these two big
1: guys. Yeah, for sure. So it is in full steam right now, the Isaiah Pacheco hype train In the Kansas City backfield, this high-powered offense, you've got Clyde Edwards, a layer there. You had Ronald Jones. You have some beat reporters worried that Jones might not even make the 53-man roster. And you have the rookie now, Isaiah Pacheco, in addition to Jarek McKinnon. So I wanted to talk a little bit about this. Um, There are... (laughs) a couple of different ways that you could expect things to go here. Now, generally, I tend to try and not to react too strongly to any news coming out of the preseason, out of training camps. I thought it was worth though revisiting Pacheco here and his profile quickly. So, if you go into the Rotovay's workout explorer, you're going to see the dude is fast, right? 43740 at 216 pounds. That's a 118 speed score. The only other drill that he participated in uh, was the vertical jump. Did not record a very strong score there. Played four years at Rutgers, finished at 22.8. Some things, though, in the profile, Curtis, that people aren't going to like. Um, You know, only had one season with a running back dominator higher than 40%, just 559 total rushing attempts. Uh, His highest total for yardage was 735 that came in his sophomore season, also recorded his highest total of seven rushing touchdowns that year uh, in 11 games and had a career yards per carry of 4.37 now, normally, when we talk about yards per carrier for running backs in the NFL context, we don't really care. Uh, as we know, it's largely tied to teams and we just care about players scoring fantasy points. But in the case like this for a college back, that is a very, very low total. Um, highest receptions in his career were 19 and that came in 2020, his junior year. Has a round seven um, draft capital assigned to him. As a result, you're not going to get a lot of exciting comps for him. Uh, It's kind of a hard profile to make sense of here. So when we start hearing hype about this guy and how good he is in pass protection and the team is going to start to work him in, I'm hesitant to really buy into this hype at what point do you think, though, that somebody needs to start to adjust and throw away some of their priors and start to take a guy like this seriously? Well,
2: I mean, you have to kind of define seriously. You know, if yep. he's going to go on the radar, you know, maybe in the early to, to mid-teen rounds of, of drafts, kind of replacing where Ronald Jones is going as it looks like he's falling a little bit out of favor. Okay. Okay, I mean that's that's fine. I mean we're we're taking swings at potential upside uh, team situations in, in those scenarios anyway. I mean yep. basically all the backs that go in the in those areas are backs that either don't have defined roles or if they do have a defined role, it's probably not with a pass catching profile. Otherwise, it'd be a little higher up in that range where you know Sean Siegel every year is pounding his chest for us to to draft those you know high end uh, ZRB targets. And, you know, so if Pacheco is going to go below those guys, you know, if he's going to go below the Tony Pollards, below the Melvin Gordons, um, you know, the guys that actually will have defined roles and and had, you know, good, either, you know, a good college football production profile and some level of NFL draft pedigree or a prior history of NFL success, I wouldn't have a problem with it. Where I have a problem with it is... (laughs) (laughs) is seeing pacheco go in the fifth round of a main event draft today yes the fifth round okay i mean best case scenario there's got to be a middle there's got to be a middle a middle ground here yeah like thinking about what it would even look like i mean even if he were to get the type of role like the max role that clad edwards elair has had and in any of his seasons in the nfl we're talking about a back that you know, and Ceh's case that still has yet to score 200 PPR in a season because of either a availability or b um, uh, f- failing to realize a con- a- enough of a role consolidation in Andy Reid's offense, the way that they run things, the way that they split up the touches. Um, uh, we haven't achieved a bankable weekly role. Yeah, I mean, other than like that short period of time where Daryl Williams was was lock stock. I mean. That, that's basically all we've seen in the last couple of years. So I, I just don't get it. Like to go all in on Pacheco as the guy that would break the mold um, versus some of the other players that that Reed's had access to in his time in KC just doesn't really make a lot of sense to me. Um, you, so you just got to be careful. I mean, if 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 you're an underdog where you know you can still get him a, a little bit cheaper, that's fine. I do recognize that the high stakes drafters at FFPC are amongst the boldest that you will find anywhere in fantasy. And it's where some of the biggest sharps uh, anywhere that you will find are playing. So, you know, that just feels like beyond a conviction play to me to to take them in the fifth or sixth round in a $1,900 draft. So I will never say never on these guys, but there are very limited examples, you know, of these round six, round seven and UDFA, uh, profile players really sticking, um, for an entire season and, and being a a fantasy difference maker. So, uh, it has happened in NFL history. Um, it's not likely. And and I do think despite his athleticism, it's unlikely that he would usurp Jarek McKinnon, who actually has very similar athleticism and has already proven these things. Uh, in Kansas city in, in the playoffs when it really mattered last year Um, or CEH who, you know, again, the team did invest first round draft capital in and seems, you know, kind of hell bent on him reprising the one a role. So I, I don't know. It it feels like we're a little ahead of ourselves here, but I also understand that people will always, you know, see what sticks when they think they have a potential discount RB one.
1: Right. So the couple of thoughts that I had here I completely agree with the first thing that you said was we have to define seriously. If people are going after him towards the end of a draft, I am 100% fine with that. I think that makes sense. Where I started to have an issue with it was when people were starting to put him into a range where he looks like a back that has a defined role. And not just a defined role, but a strong defined role. I mean, this is a, as you said, fifth round in the main event. Like, even if, let's think about it like this. If the Chiefs had drafted somebody like, uh kenneth walker what our instant reaction have been that we're going to start taking this guy in the fifth round then you think about the fact that kenneth walker was a guy that was going you know with valuation of maybe like around two type of back had a lot more meat on that profile so you know i think about it through that context and then also if you take take another step back right now i'm always leery when people talk about a player being good in pass protection and that translates to them getting on the field because that doesn't necessarily translate to fantasy points, right? That could translate to you taking on a role that might not be the type of efficiency that you need in the context of the chief's offense to deliver, uh, you know, on an early round draft pick.
0: We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed.
2: Yeah, man, I'm, I'm, I'm searching through some of our tools, trying to find, you know, the positives in the prospect box score scout. And it's, it's a struggle, man. Um, It's a struggle. You know, you, I guess you could, you could try to hang your hat on the athleticism, but and I, and I know that you know, the team context of of playing for Rutgers where you don't have a lot of help and, you know, might be a yeah. running back, can't do it all himself. And, you know, some of those same things that applied to Damian Pierce for, you know, he's another guy that we're, he's not on the schedule to talk about tonight, but maybe in a future episode we should. You know, some of the same excuses that you might make for Pierce, I guess, are excuses you could make for Pacheco, but we didn't get nearly the draft capital. And it's also a lot... You know, steeper hill to climb. You know, when you're looking at Pierce, you got to usurp, you know, old, busted, uh, rehabilitated Marlon Mack and then Rex Burkhead, who is basically like a community figurehead and not a legitimate running back at this point, versus Pacheco having to uh, usurp Jarek McKinnon, who was a play, uh, you know, a, a pl- NFL playoffs hero last season and a former first round pick. Like, it's just a lot. You know, it's quite a, a few, uh, Swiss cheese holes to line up for things to really work out for him. And, and man, I'm, I'm five pages deep, uh, five pages deep is it actually as deep as I can go, um, in the road of his prospect box score, scout Sims tool. And I haven't found a single player that I'm excited about that was ever fantasy relevant that comes up. Actually, I, I take it back. We have Orleans Darkwah. Um,
1: oh boy. Oh <laughs> who was a, boy. who
2: was a waiver wire hero that never really materialized into anything. Yep. That might be the most, I'm going back through here again. Uh, we have Keyshawn Vaughn on page three. I was going to say, you know, it's similar has, to
1: Keyshawn Vaughn, right? That yeah, he, four year type of role did some things late, had some production early on, yeah. never really fully came together.
2: I'm looking, man, like those, those are actually the best two names in, in the top 50 Sims for Pacheco. Yep. So, you know, even absent the team context of having a difficult situation to find a, a role consolidation, you know, there's just not a lot of history of guys with this type of profile uh, from a production and dra- draft draft is also included. It's one of the, one of the metrics used in the prospect box score scout. We're looking at athleticism uh, production in the context of draft position uh, so there's a couple of different things layered on here, and not not looking good from that perspective, I'm sure we can find some examples of players this athletic uh, that have you know become you know fancy producers at the NFL uh, when you're talking about guys you know 90th percentile and above and speed score and, and 40 time you know that's that obviously goes with the territory. So we will advocate for investing in Pacheco when you know he's available. I don't know, Dave. After round 10,
1: I, I mean, um, push it back if you want to be real more. aggressive
2: and for, for, yeah, for, for me, given who's available at current ADP and where they're available, it's probably more of around 12 and later mm-hmm. situation for me. Cause I'd like to really hit that quarterback two or that tight end two in rounds, 10, 11, 12. Uh, so when he's available later than that, that's fine. It might just mean that I don't have much Pacheco exposure at all until we have more clair- clarity around the situation.
1: Yeah, the other thing would be, too, is if you're super interested in him, it's possible that training camp moves along, the hype kind of slows down, and then you get him a couple of rounds later. We'll have to see. The other player that I wanted to talk with you about, Curtis, is Romeo. Do we know if it's Dubs or Dubs? I have to admit that I'm not 100% sure here.
2: Uh, I think it's Dubs.
1: That's what I thought. All right, Romeo, Dubs. Okay, wide receiver for the Green Bay Packers, Coming out of Nevada with a breakout age of 19.7, was taken in the fourth round, 201 pounds, 6'1". His best season came in 2021 with 1,090 receiving yards, 13, eight, uh, 13.8 yards per reception, 10 receiving touchdowns, receiving dominator of 0.31. Um, Prior to that, he also did have a pretty solid season. You could say in 2020 at the age of 20.7, 985 receiving yards across nine games, eight receiving touchdowns, 17.6 receiving yards per reception, and a receiving dominator of 0.33. We do not have any athletic measurables that we can point to here. So we have a player fourth round valuation okay college stats out of a school like nevada but he lands in green bay aaron Rodgers, who historically has not wanted to involve the youngsters at wide receiver just talking glowingly about him and now we're seeing drafters respond this is another one where i don't know that i'm gonna buy into the hype but i will give you an opportunity to see if you think otherwise
2: Yeah, this one's pretty interesting. Um, There's plenty of opportunity uh, in in Green Bay. You know, the vacated targets are at pretty much, you know, max potential. I'm very much on record as saying that Alan Alan Lazard is, you know, one of the best, if not the best values in fantasy football for 2020. And that's based off of 2022. Also in 2020. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, also. Oh my gosh, man. That's been like I said. It's been a long day. I came straight yeah, from work. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> came on to do the podcast. So in 2022, uh, Alan Lazard being one of the you know best uh, values. You know he's still being drafted at wide receiver 36 or below in all the major formats. Despite Aaron Rodgers saying all of these things in consecutive months about Alan Lazard. Quote: He's been our dirty work guy for most of his career here. Now he's getting an opportunity to be a number one receiver. I'm not worried about him at all stepping into that role. That's Rodgers on Lazard. Next quote. He hasn't had a ton of opportunities, but ever since his first day here, he's turned heads. Rodgers on Lazard again. Next quote. Who I don't think we need any patience with in camp is Allen. I really think Allen is ready to make that jump to be a number one wide receiver. Again, Rodgers on Lazard. Next quote. Obviously, Allen Lazard is going to step into the number one role. And I think it's going to be a very seamless transition for him. I mean, Rogers is telling us what the team's going to do. He's telling us what he intends to do. Now, I mean, it could be the biggest smoke show, you know, in the world that doesn't come to fruition. And actually the history with Rogers hyping up a guy usually has led to the GM trading that player away. <laughs> it seems like uh, in the past. So I mean, we'll have to see, but when you look at it, I mean, Lazard and Rodgers have had an absolute fire connection. Um, In fact, our Rotoviz AYA tool would tell you that amongst wide receivers who have ever played with Aaron Rodgers, Alan Lazard has the second best AYA at a very impressive 10.28 AYA on 151 career targets. The only player to best that AYA with Rodgers is Jordy Nelson. Uh, wasn't mat- It's not matched by Randall Cobb. It's not matched by James Jones. It's not matched by Devontae Adams. So, you know, the history of the efficiency and the effectiveness of the battery with the high touchdown rate is there. You got Lazard at 6'5", 227, an absolute mountain of a player. So, uh, you know, I think that's what it really comes down to. Now, in his recent uh, article from the other day, Sean had a lot of fun with some bold predictions based off of the, the preseason weekend, and most of you who are a long time, you know, readers of Rotoviz or listeners of Rotoviz Radio, know that you know we're not really big on all the the bold prediction, hot take stuff. Um, but it is fun when Sean occasionally puts himself into that mindset uh, and writes a little differently uh, than he typically does. And in this kind of hot takey article, you know, he he hypothesizes uh, or suggests that Romeo Dubs could lead the Packers in receiving and absolutely just blow it away. Now that's on the strength of him looking really good, mostly with the second team uh, in the first preseason game, um, though he did get some run with with Rodgers. So I, I think the question with Dubs is, what could it look like if he actually got a legitimate wide receiver to roll? Like what if he stays ahead of, of Christian Watson on the depth chart? Uh, what if he passes Sammy Watkins, who right now uh, based off of snap, uh, share, and and target distribution in camp, and also Rogers and uh, Brian uh words themselves, is the number two wide receiver. If he can pass those two guys and actually stay on the field as the number two, could he do a better job maybe than Marcus Valdez-Scantling did, has done over the past couple of years, um, or than Andronimo Allison did in, in prior years? That, I think, is what we're playing with, because that's all it really would take for Dubs to be a pretty great value as a rookie. I mean, we've, we've seen multiple seasons in Rogers' career where he's propped up multiple top 24 guys, and like Lazard smashing and Dubs smashing, you know, those aren't necessarily mutually exclusive scenarios. So while it's super fun to entertain Sean's suggestion, even if that doesn't come true, Dubs could still be a really smart play. And I don't think that he is going to rise to the level of Pacheco just because people have the, the desperation around the running back position. And there really are so many other wide receiver targets, you know, there's like 50 or 60 guys that you can tell yourself, you know, are pretty worthy of, of a draft pick selection on your you know specific build in any given draft. So dub should be a little bit easier to have access to. There's other wide receivers that are rookies that that are getting a little bit even more buzzy. And I think the things that George Pickens has done in the past week um, you know, probably also help to keep you know dubs a little bit more under the radar but that you know that's I guess that's really my thing is I'm for it but again you know do do you want to say that when Roger you said it right in the intro to the segment you know Rogers has not typically given a rookie those looks Jordy Nelson didn't get those looks as a rookie Devontae Adams didn't get those looks as a rookie you know what makes us think that dubs who by all accounts is an inferior a far inferior prospect to either one of those guys yep. is going to be the one to break the mold other than situation alone. Um Yeah, I think that's most of my thoughts on Dubs. I mean, what what would you have? I, I do you do you like him above Lazard? I mean, am I, are are we in conflict on this one?
1: Oh no, no, no. I think that we're very much in the in the same boat on this one. You know, there was a long stretch where after going through the projection process, I was down more on Lazard's prospects, I think, than I should have been, which is one of those artifacts of that process that I've talked about. But so I, I'm much now, I'm much higher on Lazard now, where I might not be quite as high as you. But, um, you know, with where I'm seeing him still in drafts now, Curse, he's going to end up being a very high owned player for me. Uh, Dubes or Dubs doesn't look like he's gotten entirely out of control, but the, you know, one of the questions was a player where the hype isn't matching that profile, and you know what feels reasonable. And I think he's he's a case of that. So I think we can move along. Did not expect that we would spend this much time on those two players, <laughs> right? I mean, uh, well, I think it's well merited yeah. because sometimes we have to line yeah. it all out just to make sure that people don't fall into these traps that you can get into when you spend all day on Twitter.
2: Yeah. What um, the last thing that I'll say on this is, you know, Sean actually kind of got into dubs way back in May um, in a pretty cool article that he it it was, you know, to rid of his heyday, uh, you know, the, the arbitrage type articles that we would put out every year. You know, he instructs that we should target these discount versions of first round rookie stars. And Dubs actually shows, out, uh, shows up as a discount version of Christian Watson, right. <laughs> of all people, in his, in his uh, article. Um, but that's a fun one to go back and, and look at. If you're a of his sub, of course, you can go back and look at anything that Sean or, or myself or Dave or anybody else on the site has at, uh, written uh, at any time. Um, Dave, I'm thinking with how deep we got into this discussion, we should save our you know, training camp battle uh, quick hitters for the next episode.
1: Yeah, I think that works uh, for me. So we will look forward to breaking that down and continuing to uh, get through all of this training camp hype and news as it comes out between now and kickoff of the season.